It's interesting because, um, you know, <clears throat> I titled this sermon, the, uh, This Do in Remembrance of Me, but it could also be uh, a story of love because um, that's really what it is. It's, um, it's a kind of a picture of uh, David's love for his country, David's love for his city, David's love for his people. Um, this, this psalm is an, a, kind of an interesting psalm. You know, we're, we're starting, incidentally, somebody came to me after the first service and said, what's your name? <clears throat> I couldn't imagine that. I thought everybody knew me, but my name is Jim Ferguson, and I'm glad to be with you again. Thank you for the privilege of preaching the word. With that, I would say, one of the interesting things about this psalm is there are so many firsts. This is the first one with a title. This is the first of 13 psalms that um, tell about some episode in the life of David. This is the, um, the first of um, the lament psalms, psalms of lament, psalms where the psalmist just simply pours out his heart. It's also the first psalm that introduces the word selah. And I know a lot of people say, what is that? Well, some commentators call it a, um, just a, you know, some kind of a note of music, something like a direction to the, to the musicians. But that's not the way I learned it. I learned that it was kind of like um, what communion is all about. It's, um, it's that thought of stop and think about that. Let it sink into your head. The words, let them, let them become part of you. It's another way of saying, this do in remembrance of me. When you read the word, meditate on it. Think about it. When you take communion, you meditate upon the things of the Lord and upon his ministry. Another interesting thing about the Psalms is the titles. Uh, so often, um, uh, we, we forget that there's a title there. Some Bibles don't even put them in. If you have a Hebrew Bible, it's verse one. It's a different verse arrangement, therefore, if there's a title in the psalm. But in this one, it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are, are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. I'll, um, I'll give you something. It's not part of my message, but um, there's two things in that portion that uh, uh, are very interesting. If you want to know what Hebrew poetry is all about, here's a good example of it. Parallelism. You notice there are three many's in that verse? That's, um, uh, that, that's a beautiful picture of what's coming, kind of introduces the Psalms. Another interesting thing is there's no salvation in him. The word salvation there is the word Yeshua or Joshua. It's the word Savior. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ appears for us 
there in the very beginning of the song. You won't have to pay for that. I'll just give it to you. But anyway, um, let's, let's look at this psalm in three different ways. Um, let's look at it as uh, a David's condition, David's confidence, and then we'll look at it as David's compassion. So looking then at David's condition, what is David's condition? Well, it says it there in the yeah, title, doesn't it? A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Um, when, we look at, when we look at the fact that uh, his, his son, Absalom, was trying to kill him, um, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Imagine the situation you're in, your son wants to kill you, wants to take over your throne. <laughs> that's not a condition I ever hope to be in. That's not a condition that anyone really would want to be in. It's a horrible condition. And on top of that, Ahithophel. There's a name that I'm sure you don't name your children. But anyway, Ahithophel, um, he was one of the brightest, most intelligent men in uh, that day. He, uh, he was one of David's trusted advisors. David would go to him. And they would have sweet communion together as they learned uh, what, what, how he should govern. Now Ahithophel is opposed to him. Ahithophel has joined Absalom. Um, you know those, those endless genealogies that you run into in the scriptures, particularly in the book of Chronicles, when you figure... The first 10 chapters practically are given over to chronicles or over to genealogies. Well, if you look at those genealogies, and I've never read this anywhere, and I, 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 I got to always preface when I'm coming up with something that's just mine, that you understand it's just mine. But I think Ahithophel was actually related to Bathsheba. In fact, I think he was her uncle. And that brings me to the point of David's condition. Not only had he lost his son, not only was he fighting Ahithophel, but he was also, it was known what he did. You remember Shimei when, uh, uh, you know, he called David a man of blood, was throwing stones at him and throwing dust in the air? David's sin had been discovered. I think a lot of people knew. And I think his condition was such that not only had he lost son and advisor, but it seemed like a lot of people knew what he had done. That was David's condition. Now we want to look at David's confidence. And that comes for us in three through six. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. All around. Um, well, the sure thing that David was confident of 
was that uh, he was getting away with anything, there were going to be consequences. You remember when, um, when Nathan came to him and told him about his sin, he said, um, David, the sword will not depart from your house. The next two chapters deal with just exactly that. Um, Absalom's, sis, uh, Absalom's sister, Tamar, was raped by, by uh, her brother. You have, um, uh, you have all of the, what a horrible thing to have that situation. Um, the next thing that happens there is uh, Absalom kills him. I mean, what a, what a terrible situation going on in the house of David. Yeah, there are going to be consequences. And then, of course, the ultimate consequence comes in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel when Absalom raises to take David's throne. Not only to take the throne, but to kill his own father. So yes, there would be consequences. David was confident of that. David was also confident of something else. David was confident of the fact that he was forgiven. Um, did you know that there are people in this world and I'm one of them, and so are you, some of you. You're more holy than God. God can forgive you of your sins, but you can't forgive yourself. Do you ever think about that? I do. I think about it all the time. God can, can put my sins behind his back. He can make them as far as the east is from the west. He can remember them no more. But I can remember them. And I can't forgive myself. Isn't that sad? I can't be more holy than God. But David knew he had been forgiven. And, and we find that so clear. We find it right here in these, in these verses. You, O oh Lord, you're, you're a shield about me. You're, you're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Not only that, Lord, I can lay down and sleep. I don't know when David wrote this. I got a hunch. I got a hunch that he wrote it about the time that he got to the, to the end line where he was going to be saved, where he was going to stay away from uh, the problems of Absalom uh, until Absalom came looking for him. But um, I, I, think, I think he wrote it there. And he was well aware of his condition. But he was able to lay down and sleep. I don't know about you. I know the night that I came to know the Lord, I couldn't sleep. I... I just absolutely was uh, beset by my own sins. And I remember I got out of bed, I got down on my knees, and I prayed that God would forgive me and that uh, he would take away my sin and he would forgive me, be my savior. I remember I got back in bed and went to sleep. So if ever a time in my life that I felt comfortable 
It was that night when I got back in bed and went back to sleep. So I can see David. I can see him here. I can see him saying, well, I don't have to worry. I understand something. I know that I'm going to, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be there at King. Because you remember when Absalom is introduced, he's introduced with two sons and two daughters. But when all of this takes place and Absalom is kind of thinking about himself, he says, I have no one to take my place. No sons, no daughters. Lost his children. That means something because David knew that his kingdom was going to go on. He knew that his kingdom was going to be there forever, that, that his son would raise in his place and that his son would be the one who would build that temple for him. So David had great confidence in God. He knew somehow he was going back to Jerusalem. You know, he'd run from Saul, he'd run from Absalom, but he knew, he had confidence that God had promised him that a son would sit on his throne. So he was, he was absolutely certain that he was okay. And so what did he do? He laid down and he slept. And he said, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, the glory the lifter of my head. You know, that idea of the being lifted, the lifting of your head. You remember in, in the book of Genesis when um, Joseph interpreted the dream of the, of the baker and the, uh, and the wine cup bearer. He said, after three days, your heads are going to be lifted. What he meant was you're going to be restored to where you were. And so David is saying it here. I know I'm going to be restored to where I was. I don't understand how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. I have this confidence. Now we come to David's compassion. Let me read that. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O God. Arise. You know, remember when, when the children of Israel would get up to, to go from camp to camp, the first words they would say is, Arise, O Lord, protect us. That's what David is pointing here. He's saying, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And you're saying, wait a minute, Jim. You, I thought you said compassion. Uh, were you just looking for another C? <laughs> no. David had compassion. I told you when I started, David loved his city. David loved his people. David had compassion on his people. Um, you know, the idea of, of loving people, you know, I often wondered. I, you know, I would look at this and I would say, uh, I, I, I love my country. I'm glad, I'm proud I'm an American. And I, all that good stuff, but, but I don't feel toward the United States the way David felt toward Israel. And then it dawned on me, stupid. You know, you know, it's the economy, stupid? No. It's the church, stupid. That's where God's love is. And that's where my love is. And that's what he's talking about here. When he's, when he's making this declaration that, you know, um, 
the love that God has in his heart. But he also, he knew that righteousness was something that we need to rule a country. Let me read something to you. This is all from Proverbs. Riches do not profit in the days of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteous, righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their trust and by their lust. In the path of righteousness is life, and in the pathway there is no death. There's another one. And this is where David was hanging his, his sword. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So why was David saying, strike them on the cheek and break their teeth? He was literally saying, Lord, I love my people. And as a great warrior, he would think to himself, anybody that would do anything to my people and to my church and to my God or to my city, break their teeth. You see, David's love was so great that he could see any evil destroying what he loved. And so he stood up for it and he begged for God to care for it. Now, how does that fit communion? Well, here's something to think about. Selah. Where's, uh, what's your condition? Well, we're sinners saved by grace. Where's your confidence? To what do you put your confidence in? And where's your compassion? How much do you love the church of the living God? And you see, Selah. Stop and think about it. Let's do that right now before we take communion. Let's just simply take a few minutes and let's think about it. Bow your heads and think about it. Now let's, let's just take a minute and let's confess our sins in a special way. I invite anybody who can follow these questions and answer them to have communion with us. It belongs to the people who can answer these questions. If you can't, do yourself a favor. 
don't take communion. Do you acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you have broken God's law in thought